You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Mic check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America. The DU Podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, the official performance dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Purina Pro Plan, always advancing. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. Joining me today on the show is Rusty Creasy. Now, he is the manager of the Coca-Cola Woods in Arkansas. Rusty, welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast. Man, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you giving me a break from this heat that we got outside. Able to come in for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it has been hot. Now, it hasn't been hot and dry, though. It's, you've gotten some water, though, haven't you? Oh, oh man! It, uh, the farmers and, and people like myself who uh, who have crops and stuff in the ground are absolutely tickled right now. It is as uh, good of a start to the growing season and to the farm year as, as I have ever seen. I mean, n- in our area, especially, nothing really flooded out, but but yet nothing else is uh, is burning up. We've had just the right amount of rain, and uh, man, we are 
where you're tickled to death so far. You better start knocking on wood now if you're talking like that. That's scary. Absolutely. It says it's going to be a drought or a flood in the next couple of weeks, one of the two. That's right. Well, before we get into, uh, you know, more in-depth kind of waterfowl habitat conversations here, um, I always like to let, you know, some new guests on the show just kind of introduce themselves. uh, Tell us, you know, what you do, where you're located, you know, what you do on a day-in, day-out basis. So if you want to go ahead and do that, just kind of introduce yourself to our audience. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we're we're located in northeast Arkansas uh, is the area we're in. You know, I'd say a hour and 15 west of Memphis and about the same northeast of Little Rock and then an hour south of Jonesboro, right around the McCroy area. And uh, the Coca-Cola Woods is just a, a privately owned club that has, we, we've never been a commercial club, never, uh, never sold hunts per se. Uh, it was actually developed the same year and you you'll know this for sure the same year ducks unlimited come out which was i think 1937 is that correct that is correct 1937 all right so so that's the same year that the pigeon family who at the time owned the coca-cola 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 bottling company in memphis they bought this piece of property Hmm. and mr pigeon and the family were big duck hunters so uh they just you know kind of did some little levies and and this was their little place that they would bring you know customers and family and friends and uh it's just that's how it kind of got the name the coca-cola woods and uh the pigeon family owned it till the mid-90s and a gentleman from alabama owned it and he owned it till 2010 when mr dobbs bought it and who was another memphis guy and uh he went right back you know named it went back to calling it the coca-cola woods because as a kid growing up you know that's that's what he always heard it called and and heard all the stories about it and when the opportunity come up to to buy it man he jumped on it and uh he has not regretted it since but uh we pride ourselves on uh just uh watching a, a really really good duck show and and I mean, I tell people, if you can't have fun at our place, you, you need a new hobby. I mean, mm-hmm. even if you're not a hunter, even if you're not a hunter, you know, you, you, the the sun sets, the sun rises, watching the ducks leave the woods. Uh, we've got a great staff. That, I mean, we run it. We run it like a commercial operation, you know, as far as the way everything works. But uh, we've got a great staff. And, and I mean, again, whether you're a hunter or not, you're going you're to have a good time when, you, when you're over here with us. And. Uh, so we take care of Mr. Dobbs and his family and, and his close friends and business acquaintances. So it, it's the dynamic has, has really not changed in almost 90 years or whatever it is. It's uh, it's still the same, you know, just friends and family and, and business acquaintances sharing a, sharing a tree in, in the woods or, in the, or sharing a blind. That's awesome. Now, during the season, you know, you're, you are day to day, you know, you're guiding pretty much. Um, but... You know, one reason why I wanted to have you on the show here today was, you know, you, you post a lot of Instagram videos where you kind of talk about the summer work that you're doing. And we've had, you know, Tony Vandemore on here where he talks about, you know, what he's doing up there in his neck of the woods up in northern Missouri during the summer where it's like, I think I think what some duck hunters kind of miss sometimes is that there's a lot of work that goes into uh, some of these private clubs and, and even some of the public ground as well, which we'll also get into um, in another podcast. But, you know, the work that you're doing during the summer is what's really making the fall and the hunts, um, you know, be successful. So, you know, let's kind of touch on that, like kind of a day in the life of what you're doing right now. I mean, it's July. 
And most people right. are not thinking about duck hunting, but I know you are. Uh, we typically are here around here at Ducks Unlimited, and we're we're kind of we're kind of stuck in that mode all the time. But I know your <laughs> mindset is is definitely on the ducks, but in a different kind of a different capacity as far as you're out there working crops and working little areas. So kind of bring us through kind of a day in the life of what you're doing right now in July. Right. Well, you you said it best. You know, with what you do with Ducks Unlimited, uh, you think about a duck every day of the year, and and so do I. You know, you know the the it's, I just call it the process. You know, it starts all over again. Basically, the day season goes out, and and you know you're putting gear up, then you drain the water, and then once you get the water drained, if you follow my Instagram, you know how I fight the beavers. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a <laughs> weekly deal. You know, finally get the water drained and. You know, anything anything that we can do as hunters or conservationists uh, to improve the experience, but more importantly, improve our habitat, it, it just pays huge dividends. Uh, and, and kind of what I'm trying to, the, the mindset I'm trying to get people to think like and to see is that it doesn't just happen like we're talking about. You know, it it is a 365-day process of whether you're planning, whether you're planning, whether you're scouting. I mean, it all ties in together. But, you know, yeah, we, we take care of, I take care of a little over a 1,000 acres of property. But the same techniques that I use day to day or throughout the year, and that's what I try to show people through through social media, is what I'm doing, you can downscale that to just a single duck hole. So, mm-hmm. so you know, if somebody's listening to this and they've got a, They've got one duck hole. They've got an acre of ground, or they've got just a little, little small track. There are things that you can do to improve that. Um, and, and like I tell people, you know, if it buys you one extra hunt, all right, well, well, you go and you take your son or daughter, and, and they kill their first duck, or you take a buddy and they kill their first band. Who's to say that that work that you did this summer didn't or wasn't attributed, you know, that wasn't attributed to everything you did? Mm-hmm. Uh, so now all of a sudden, the work that we do in the summer. It's worth it, and and that's just the mindset I'm trying to get people to, to say, you know, uh, or to to catch on is to just just anything you can do, make your property the best it can be. You know, we're all dealt a hand, and it's how you play that hand, and how you and what you put into it to see what what happens at the end. Um, but with all that being said, you know, we start planting rice in the woods the last week of May. I let it warm up good. Uh, I used to try to get in there earlier, but with the cooler nights, a lot of times the rice just didn't come out growing like I wanted it to. So I wait till about the last week of May. And, you know, I, I've got different techniques. You know, I water seed some rice. I, I do like a farmer would do and disc it and lightly cover it. You know, uh, I'm, I have some spots that I, I mud in. I've got a little old Kubota tractor and a six-foot disc and just get in there and mud it and slop it up. And that rice will stick and sprout and, and come right up. And, and, you know, once you get that rice to to sprout and come up well now we're off and running now you're you're spraying you're fertilizing you are putting water on it where you can uh, you know so it, it's all just a, a process and uh but it's something that we all can do no matter what size of property we have or we're managing or we're leasing or whatever yeah now do you have now the majority of your habitat is in rice or do you guys have any other like moist soil or anything else 
Okay, so so in the woods, we've got 520 acres of timber that, that is levied up and flooded. It's all contiguous with one levee around it. Inside that 520 acres, we've got 19 food plots. I plant just rice inside the woods okay. uh, in those plots. Now, the southeast corner of the property, about a 40-acre little corner there, is willows and buckbrush and lots of smart weeds, lots of natural stuff. And and that's something that uh, I think another thing that's a good time to say is diversity is huge. You know, there there's places in the woods that I could go in with a bulldozer and open up and, and make another huge rice food plot. Mm-hmm. But those ducks... They they like it like it is, you know, and, and I tell people, if a duck's using something and he's in there year in and year out, day in and day out, don't change it. He's coming there for a reason. Yeah. You know, uh, when we when you come in there, all you can do is mess it up. You know, I've heard people, oh, well, well this tree needs cut. This tree needs cut. We need to do this. Well, now all of a sudden they change the whole the hole and the whole way the, the little hole or whatever you want to call it shooting hole looks. Now it looks like a shooting hole or it looks, it, it doesn't look natural to them and it, it changed what they were coming in there for and, and you mess it up. So, you know, it's kind of like a duck coming in with his feet out and you're on a duck call. About all you can do is mess it up. So the best thing you can do is not to call. And so if you've got ducks using an area and, and coming in, uh, just, just leave it alone because they're coming there for a reason. Yeah, and it could be, you know, we have that conversation all the time. A lot of times that that natural vegetation, those moist soil type, you mentioned smart weed, um, different types of vegetation like that, seed producing, um, can be better than just about anything you can plant. So, you know, I think that's one thing for people to keep in mind is that pretty much how you kind of treat that buckbrush area where you're just like, man, that's that's it. It's done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've got, you've got different, and, and you know, you, later in the year, you get those invertebrates and bugs. And I mean, a, a, a mallard duck will eat anything. I, I've found tree frogs. I've found snails. I've found, you name it, man. I, I've found it all as far as what a duck will eat. And uh, so when they're hungry, they're not picky. But to, to go back to your question, inside the woods, that's kind of what we do there. And then we've got 100 acres of crop fields that, that are just, just outside the woods, broken into 50, two 50-acre fields. And, and we try to do, it's usually a bean and rice rotation one will be beans one will be rice and then the bottom of the bean field i would plant some strips of corn eight to ten acres of corn well this year my farmer planted the whole field in corn so i got 50 acres of corn but now he's going to cut his part out and so we'll have 50 acres of of or i'd say 40 acres of cut corn with 10 acres of strips of corn standing uh, so I'm actually pretty pretty excited about that. This will be the first year that that field's ever been in corn. And uh, the other 50-acre field is rice. So what I like to do is the week before season, I'll flood one field or the other. Uh, this year, if the corn does well, I'll probably flood my rice field first. And that'll give them fresh food, fresh water. We'll leave 10 acres of standing rice and strips throughout the field. That way they can't just roll in and eat you out of house and home. Yeah. And that's kind of our rest area outside the woods. So a lot of evenings, you know, you'll watch the ducks. They'll jump up out of the woods. They'll fly, sit down in your rest field. Well, man, best case scenario there because you're able to hunt your ducks, but you're also keeping them on your property, Yeah, which is huge, which is huge, especially when you hunt every day. So that's kind of the way that works. But then last week or so of December, right there around Christmas, we'll, we'll, we'll keep the other rest field dry 
we'll put the boards on and kick the wells on and we'll flood the other 50 acre field now all of a sudden you've got another 50 acres of fresh food fresh water uh that kind of feeds the woods and feeds our area the remainder of the season uh it's like your first field gets you through the first 30 days of season your second field gets you through the the last 30 and and man since we've kind of gone on that rotation it has it has been huge uh We've got an area of the woods that we deem a rest area as well and don't hunt it until the last week. And that's that area I was speaking of earlier about the, the buck brush, the smart weed and all that stuff. That is, that's, uh, we call it the willows. And we don't even drive a boat around it. We don't hunt it. We hunt within maybe 300 yards of, of where the ducks kind of start in there. But, uh, so we, we are really, we, we attribute low pressure and rest areas. That's what we, think a lot of our success is from you know uh, a lot of folks say that well they come in the woods to eat no they come in there because they know they're not going to get shot you know we we hunt one group a day we don't we don't split up into two or three groups so i mean really i mean on 520 acres you're hunting one hole uh if you're on the north end well now you've got everything south of you that's that's rest if we're hunting on the south end you know uh so low pressure is is huge i think uh in any hunting area. Yeah. No, and I think, you know, you kind of, I was going to ask you about hunting pressure and how you guys manage that. And we've kind of opened that door. Um, but one thing you mentioned the, the fresh water, you know, obviously fresh food, but just hunting in Arkansas, you know, the last 10, 15 years for me has really been eye opening when we do get a good rain and it floods fields that, you know, there's so many fields that are flooded and hunted, obviously. Um, but when you see, how those ducks react to just that fresh water. You know, a lot of times that water's been sitting in there since October, November, you know, it's mm-hmm. the water's been in these fields mm-hmm. for a long time. Um, and seeing that fresh water hit some of these new habitats, man, those ducks can really respond to it. So having that, that second 50 acre plot probably really, even probably draws in more ducks than what are already there. Absolutely. You know, and yeah, like you're talking about, you catch a, a two or three inch rain and, and somebody's got some boards on, there's that sheet water out there. I mean, you, you see it immediately those ducks hit that fresh water and and something i've also noticed you know the fields that are flooded let's just say you've got a 250 acre field and your let's just say your water line is 300 yards from the woods now all of a sudden it rains two inches now the water lines 350 or 400 yards from the woods push more out into the field you it's like clockwork those ducks go out and follow that rise mm-hmm. out to the edge of that water because you know they know hey this is this hadn't been flooded here's fresh food uh yeah i mean it's it's awesome to see and you know we we've actually leased a couple fields nearby that that are that are real close to the woods just for rest areas and don't hunt them we lease them it's what's crazy you lease them with the right not to hunt just so we can hold more ducks in the area and you know a lot of a lot of private landowners or, or managers uh i'm sure us and and like a like tony you know me and tony talk a good bit and mm-hmm. uh he he's been very handy to have and he's super sharp and, and does great and i've leaned on him some for advice and, and he's been good to me but yeah we hold it we hold ducks and and yeah we shoot some ducks but you know everyone around us benefits from what we do you know if you're oh, if you're if you lease a pit nearby or or if you're some public land nearby you know we we hold them in the area and yeah i'm sure it's a pain in the butt at times to watch them go into our rest field and 
or, or go into the woods and you're sitting there. But I mean, it's kind of one of those deals. Had you rather not have them close, not <laughs> yeah. have them at all, yeah. you know? So, uh, but a lot of people don't, you know, don't, don't quite see it that way. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's just kind of the way it is. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's very similar to, you know, like the, the refuge system, you know, the, the idea is to, to get ducks in the area, staying in the area, you know, venturing out, on occasion to do different things. Uh, when additional habitat does pop up, they will leave those habitats, go there. You know, it, it's just, it just provides more opportunities for everyone, I would imagine. Um, no, so, I, absolutely. Oh, no, I was just going to ask, you know, I was watching a couple of your videos that you uh, had and, and you walked into, you know, one of the rice stands and, and one of your holes and you had a bunch of weeds and you were, I think it was yesterday, actually. Uh, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you had to go in and, and basically that, that was going to be one of my questions. How are you managing these crops in the timber? I mean, what additional disadvantages do you have really by ha- by having crops in the timber as far as getting equipment in there and some of the just headaches that you deal with? Oh, yes, yes. Um, so, you know, this is my, golly, this is year 20, 19 or 20 that I've actually been planting rice in the woods. And so I'd be lying if I said the first three or four years that I didn't get stuck a lot. Uh <laughs> You know, learn it. I have, but over the years, I've learned. All right, you got to stay away from this spot. You got to stay away from this. And and I can tell you every, you know, every sinkhole, every stump that's on the property and all those food plots. So so that entail has been huge. But you know, we've got a mile to get to the woods, and then like where I was spraying those uh, coffee beans yesterday, that was another half a mile down just some muddy four wheeler trails. Mm. So you, you've got to use small equipment. Um, like I said, I've got a little old 38 horse Kubota four wheel drive tractor and a six foot disc. Uh, but now the particular hole where I showed yesterday, that was the big hole that I water seeded. You know, beavers had stopped it up. Uh, I plant with a four wheeler and a little old cedar on the back. And, and that thing does an, a great job. When you say water seeded, just for our audience, because, you know, just so that they know, when you say water seeding versus another type of seeding, kind of explain what that is, too. Okay, I will. I will. So so water seeding, if you've got, you know, heck, it could be probably as deep as you want it. But but in our case, we had about a foot of water backed up in, a, in one of our duck, big food plots. And the reason it was backed up, the beavers had stopped a little old drain pipe up and you know the first couple of years they did that i dig the pipe out well then you got to wait on the, the hole to dry well i learned just I've, i worked in ag for nine years and then i learned all these different techniques and and ways just by talking to local farmers they water seed rice and by doing that you just broadcast that seed into the water you know two to three bushels a lot of these farmers around here some people will soak their rice in bags or in a in a grain uh bucket they'll put a water hose over in it and they'll soak it and let it start sprouting and have it flown in by an airplane but rather than trying to soak it like that i just carry a few bags in on the four-wheeler and i'll drive through that water putting two to three bushel to the acre would be about the rate and you know the water's about a foot deep and you just sow it you know you sow the entire hole broadcast your seed and then in this hole i waited two days 48 hours to go in and dig the beaver dam out and drain that hole so within that time frame the seed has sank to the bottom it's stuck good and you can go out there before you drain it and you want to you want to grab one of those seeds and it'll have a little bitty white 
I call it a tit. Just a little bitty white dot coming off of mm-hmm. it to where it's starting to swell and try and thinking about sprouting. You drain it at that point. So we've let our seed sit there for two days. We dig our pipe or we dig our beaver dam out. Now the water comes off of it. At that point, that seed has sank and stuck to the bottom. Well, when the water gets off, well, now you've got good seed to soil contact. That seed sitting on that mud. Well, the heat and the sun and the air hits it. Well, now it sprouts and it sticks that little tit down into the mud and shoots a leaf up. Well, man, now you've got a stand of rice without, I mean, I'd, you can do it with a hand seeder. Uh, you can do it with a, a five-gallon bucket out there by hand slinging it. Uh, you don't have to have big equipment. Literally, you see what I use. It's mm-hmm. it's it's not high dollar stuff, you know. Uh, but you utilize that that water, which used to be a curse, and now it's a blessing because that big hole used to take me about eight to ten hours to work up and, and to plant. Now I can do it in an hour or less just by by using that water to my advantage. And, you know, at that point, your rice comes up and you, you spray it and you fertilize it and uh, try to maybe put some water back on it. But uh, it's just a it's a method that, that really catches on. And, and honestly, during the summer, when I, I try to upload that video every year showing me doing that. And that is one of the most watched and probably generates more questions and follows than anything because it, people are really interested in that. And, oh, yeah. and again, it's it's something that anyone can do. You know, we all fight beavers. We've all, you know, most people's duck holes are either dammed up or wet. Well, well, now they see that and they're like, well, hey, man, I can go get a, a hand seeder and a backpack sprayer and and like I said, like I, you know, one of my hashtags is sweat now, shoot later. You know, we sweat all summer long so we can shoot a few in the wintertime. And uh, that's just, uh, that's the way we, that's the way I water seed it right there. Yeah. And I think I saw another earlier in the year and you had kind of mentioned it earlier, which I thought was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. You just had the cedar on the four wheeler. And you're just driving through slop, basically. That, uh, that's it. That, that's yeah. what I call mud. That's what I call mudding it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's always interesting. I saw you had a bunch of comments on that, just in the sense that people didn't really think you could just drive the four wheeler out there and you know spread it around and and kind of the mud just kind of slops around and and next thing you know, you know, the next video show you've got you know rice growing in there. It's it's pretty interesting. That's right. That's right. I mean, I tell people it's not rocket science at all. And, you know, that's another reason I wait. You know, farmers start planting rice around here in early April, uh, you know, mid-April, late April. A lot of rice is planted. And then the first of May, I'd say 90% of the rice is planted around here. But So I'm waiting three more weeks or so just so those hot temperatures, so when that seed hits the mud, it's real quick to draw moisture and sprout. You know, because if you're throwing it in the mud like that, you got coons, you got squirrels, you got birds, and, and they're going to get a lot of your seed oh, yeah. if it was to lay if it was to lay there very long. So, so that's why you you really want to wait till it gets hot. And, and I mean, if it's for ducks, you really you, you don't want to run into a frost on the tail end. In other words, you don't want it to still be growing. You want it made well before it frosts. Yeah. But you kind of want it to mature a little bit later anyway, uh, because we are doing it for ducks. We're not. We don't have to have it mature you know the first of september uh to cut and harvest we want it you know mid-october to be honest with you stay tuned to the ducks unlimited podcast sponsored by purina pro plan after these messages you and your dog 
are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Is there any specific variety of rice that you're using or something that you've found is a little more attractive or anything like that? You know, personally, I, I use a clear field, which is a, it's a, I kind of would compare it to a, you know, you've got conventional soybeans, you've got Roundup Ready soybeans. Mm-hmm. So Roundup Ready, you can use glyphosate to spray and it doesn't kill the bean, yep. where it would kill a conventional bean. Well, and with rice, you've got conventional rice, but you've also got what's called clearfield rice. So on clearfield rice, rather than having where you would have Roundup for beans, they use a chemical called New Path. And there's other chemicals that have New Path in it. And, and the advantage of that for me is... A lot of my holes, I can't get water to. So I'm depending on Mother Nature. I'm depending on that little bit of shade from the trees, uh, keeping that rice alive. So I can't spray a chemical that's going to kind of burn my rice and slow it up or ding it. Because, you know, in a crop field, a lot of times these farmers will put a hot dose of chemical on it. And then the next day, they'll have water going on it. Well, the water makes that rice really grow, and it kind of grows out of that burn. Where mine, I can't get water to it. So if I burn it real bad, it would either die or it just slows it way down. So this Clearfield rice uh, with this the chemicals that I use has no burn on your rice at all. Uh, you can't even tell you've sprayed it as far as giving the rice an off color, but it'll kill the weeds. So that's why I went to Clearfield. It's just because, you know, it doesn't ever slow my rice down. It does a great job of, of uh, cleaning it up. And, you know, talking about big equipment and sprayers, like we have, we kind of went off topic a little bit there, but we've, I've got a, uh, a, a spray rig on my four wheeler. You mm-hmm. know, I can spray two, I can spray two acres, uh, breakaway booms that fold out. I spray 20 foot wide. So it's really handy to fold those booms up, strap them to the front rack 
go through those four-wheeler trails, you get to a hole of rice, kick your bones out, spray it, uh, fold your bones back up, go down the trail a little further, get to another food plot. And so that's kind of the way I, I do my spraying. And then you can follow those same tracks with your cedar, you know, uh, uh, and if you want to put some fertilizer on the top of your rice, which I use urea, just hit it with a shot of nitrogen. Mm-hmm. You can follow those, those same tracks with your little old four-wheeler and spreader. And, and you're not only running over one little spot. And it's just, it's, it's something that I have learned just over the years, just trial and error. You know, uh, a rice suits me. It may not suit, uh, you know, a guy five miles down the road. He may need to plant millets. Yeah. Uh, but, but rice is just what fits me. And I learned that the first year that I, I managed it. And I said, all right, I'm going to plant as much food in all these holes that I can. I planted Milo. I planted corn. I planted millet. I planted rice. And each crop was different and rice just showed out unbelievably and, and i'm like all right we're going wall-to-wall rice from now on. Yeah. so it, it, it's just it's just what fits me but you know it, it's not for everybody now do you you mentioned you do do a shot of fertilizer what time of the year do you do that how long do you wait for that rice to get up you know it's probably i would say my rice is probably six inches tall uh i, I don't know the leaf stage and yeah. stuff uh, the tech that a that, uh, 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 crop consultant would but i'd say six eight inches tall you you spray it to, for the for the weeds you want to kill and then immediately upon spraying you want to fertilize it uh, you want to spray it before you fertilize for the simple fact that you don't want to hit it with fertilizer because your weeds will take the fertilizer in too and cheats the rice and then you're competing your weeds are competing against your rice yeah you know uh, uh some people like dirty rice, you know, uh, in other words, they won't really spray it. They'll just throw the seed out there. It'll make, and it'll have barnyard grass, smart weed, and all these other, uh, you know, coffee beans will come up, nut grass. And, and all that's good for the ducks, but a lot of times it gets so thick that it chokes your rice out. And yeah. all you're left with is the na- is the natural stuff. So uh, I, I've seen people do do strips, you know, if they had like a, let's just say a five acre big, big plot, they'd do a tractor width of rice, skip over a tractor width, do another tractor width, and they would farm their rice and they'd leave natural in between, mm-hmm. which made for, made for a really, really cool setup and a really diverse deal because you've got rice, you've got natural, and then you've got rice, and uh, it, it's kind of the best of both worlds when you do it that way. Now, did you mentioned you've been doing this for 20 years, and a lot of, a lot of what you've done and, and really learned probably is you know, trial and error, you probably, you know, planted some rice that never came up. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, <laughs> yes. I'm sure oh, it's yeah. happened, you know. Uh, uh, absolutely. But like, is there, was there one person or any guidebook or anything that you kind of looked at when you were testing all these different things, when you were going from millet to maybe like a, a Milo or and you're like trying to figure out what actually worked best for you? Was there a guidebook or someone that maybe you leaned on, you know, any, anything? That, you know, yeah, go ahead. Not, not, not so much. You know, my uncle uh, Harvey Shue was, uh, he was the manager for about a little over 40 years at, at the Coca-Cola Woods. And he was, he was a very well-known dog trainer and, and mm-hmm. kind of a, just a local legend here at home. And just people just respect him and, and loved him. And, and he was like a second dad to me. And so, I mean, he was the manager from, let's just see here, the late 50s until 2002 when he passed. And 
So I was born in 78. So my entire life, I followed him around those woods and was, was around it. Now, he didn't do food plots like that, like I do, not anything like that. But I can remember him, he would get a five-gallon bucket of rice and he'd go out there and find a mud hole or, or whatever and would throw it out there and it would come up and make some heads. So that kind of, I always remembered him doing that. And so that kind of stuck with me. When I was working in seed, in the seed and chemical business, I worked for Jimmy Sanders Incorporated for nine years. And, and I, could, I can remember uh, the federal government, some of the property that they owned, the farmers that bought from us, they farmed that property. Well, instead of collecting a rent check, the Fed, the, the government would go out there and they would mark off, okay, you're leaving this section of crop. So basically, you left your rent in the field, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And I kind of could see where this deal was going with the refuges and the the sanctuaries and stuff. And as all that's kind of happening, I'm my uncle passes and I, I'm hired on as the manager. And, you know, I'm immediately thinking, all right, how can I improve? How can I improve? So I'm like, well, you know, this is what they're doing. I see the ducks they have. It's kind of one of those deals if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, all right, we need a we need a designated rest area. We need to leave some crops. We need to back off as far as the way we hunt and, and don't get in the middle of the ducks. Yeah. So it was kind of a combination of, of all those. And so the very like I said, the very first year I could remember planting corn, milo, millet, rice. The coons ate my corn as soon as it made. <laughs> uh, the deer ate my milo. The millet did okay. I knew I could always come back with millet and make something. But like I said, the rice just absolutely showed out. So yeah, it was trial and error the first year. And and but you know, since since those days, man, I've always I've always stri- I've always tried to strive to be the best at what I do. I, I want to. I, I just that's just the way I made, you know, uh, from little league, wanted to be the best little baseball player in basketball. And, and I've always tried to hold myself to a little bit higher standard and, and just, just be better. And I'm like, so when I took on the job as manager of the club, I'm like, all right, I want to get better every year. And, and throughout this deal, you know, I've met, I've been blessed to meet some awesome people and, and kick ideas around and, and network with them. And, and, you know, Tony Vandemore, he's helped me a ton, you know, because I've called him about those rest fields and, and he's obviously a pro when it comes to corn and stuff. And yeah, a little bit, a uh, little bit different, so uh, habitat variants up there than what you're dealing with. Ab- it, it is, it is. Uh, but something, something I learned the hard way, you know, talking about this corn and, and trial and error, we left an entire, and I know when you say 10 acres, it doesn't sound like much, but we left 10 acres of a solid block of corn, you know, and typically our ducks use our willows for their rest area. They don't, they'll go to the field and roost, but they don't necessarily sit there all day. Well, the year I left a 10 acre solid little block of corn in the bottom of our 50 acre field, instead of those ducks spending their days in the willows, which is in the woods, so to speak, they stayed in the field all day. And it made it really, they just would sit there, uh, which again, you know, a duck's DNA, he wants to survive to see another day. Yep. If he makes it till the end of January, he's got it licked. So they're going to adapt and they figured out right quick, they can sit in that corn and, and be just fine. So I learned them, I'm like, all right, I got to do something a little different. <laughs> so the next year I would, I would plant, I think I planted 16 rows and then I would leave about 
30 or 40 yards. Then I would plant 16 rows and leave 30 or 40 yards. So what that did, that they still had a little cover. They still had some food, but they did not, they, they didn't feel secure enough that they sat there all day long. Yeah. So the very next year when I did that, they, they went right back to using the willows because when they're using that corner of the woods that we designate a rest area, you know, you've got ducks buzzing around and they're flying over the woods. Well, well you know, you can, you can steal some off of it and, and shoot some, mm-hmm. but when they're flying over your field outside the woods, you don't even see them. So that was that was kind of a lesson I learned the hard way that year. I mean, we still had a decent year, but it, it was uh, you could definitely tell that we didn't see near the birds because they were huddled up in that field. Yeah. So they, obviously, when that happens, you change change the plan up for sure. Hey, yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's you know, you these ducks are changing. Yeah. Uh, everything's changing, and and you either change with them or you you sit there and look at a blank sky. Yeah. Now, what do you think, you know, you say you've been doing this for 20 years and and in the grand scheme of habitat management, 20 years is not really that long, but what have you seen that's changed over the last 20 years and and maybe just even in your area um, or even, you know, maybe some of the things that people ask you about and talk to you about, um, what is, what has really been one of the bigger changes in that landscape of, of creating and managing? You know, obviously, uh, there's a lot more hunting pressure now. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot more hunters, you know, and which, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm I'm not saying it's a bad thing because we, we want more people in the sport. We want more kids in the sport. Um, but there's gotta be a balance as far as pressure and like I say, rest, you know? Uh, so, I mean, if there's a field in our area and, and, you know, I don't blame a farmer at all. Any extra income he can make in the winter months is just, just just gravy for him you know so uh any any place that'll hold a duck in our area has has pretty much got a pit in it. it's leased out or the landowner's hunting it yeah you know whereas you you back up 20 years ago not every field was leased so when you got that sheet water uh all of a sudden now you had some extra rest areas around there's there, that that's not the case anymore and that's why we we lease a couple fields that's why we rest use our fields as rest areas just because it just holds more ducks in the area um that's a that's definitely one of the bigger things yeah. um these ducks i mean i read it somewhere and the guy said it great you know that duck is he, he's made to live another day you know they they're gonna adapt they're gonna figure out how to live and i mean we yes we shoot some ducks but we we hold and, and winter a whole bunch of ducks that that never are shot at and, and so i mean that's kind of you got to shoot some but but you definitely doing a lot more good than bad you yeah. know I mean, we talk uh, about that a lot where it's just you know ducks are really good at surviving surprisingly you know <laughs> and, absolutely and it, it seems to be everybody you know it's very difficult for them from from the egg all the way through their life cycle it's very difficult and and they are very good at surviving yes yes they are thank goodness thank goodness yeah absolutely you know, uh our ducks have at times will get i don't really want to call it nocturnal but let's just say they'll they'll get up from the rest areas and or from other other people's fields that they go roost in and and you know they're going to come in the bulk of them before shooting hours mm-hmm. and a lot of evenings they're not going to leave until after shooting hours so i mean they figured it out you know if if we fly when it's dark we can survive um and, and so there's definitely some of that going on those are that's just two factors you know that come to mind first yeah. as far as kind of things that have changed in the last few you know let's just say 20 years uh 
but it's uh it's still you know uh, it's still awesome 20 years later uh to see the rice come up one after I plant, to see it make its first head, to get water on it, and to see those first mallards get here and be in the food plot and see that come full circle. 20 years of doing it, I still feel like I did 20 years ago when it happens. Yeah, I've seen some of those uh, uh, videos you shoot of just incredible numbers of mallards pouring into a hole. Um, and it, it's always you know pretty early. And it's just amazing it seeing some of them. It's just quite a show. I I recommend everybody if you get a chance check out you know Rusty's Instagram account. Um, what's what's your handle again? I didn't have it written down. It's, it's just it's just Rusty Crazy. And then That's you know easy. we yeah it's pretty easy. Yeah. You know kind of the the way my I hate say but the way the, the the woods got known and my name kind of got out there. Mr. Freddie King and Rick Dunn. We were doing the old Echo DVDs, mm-hmm. and then we shot some. Then we shot some YouTube stuff and. And it really, it really spread like wildfire. You know, obviously when YouTube started growing and everybody saw it, uh, yeah, man, the volume of ducks, as, as you've read me, you heard me say, you know, the show never gets old. The show never disappoints. And, and, and after you see a show like that at daylight and, and they, they're literally, you can feel the wind off their wings or splashing water on you. At times you can touch them. After you see that, the limit really doesn't matter. The yeah. limit, I tell, I tell people, is just a number. You know, a lot of times I may have 12, the boss enjoys big groups of guys. We may have 13 or 14 guys in a hole. Well, there's definitely days we can go shoot 14, 15 limits of ducks. Let's just say 60 mallards. But what I like to do, all right. Let's watch a show. Let the bulk of those ducks sit down in the woods to where, you know, to where they're, once those ducks sit down in the woods, they sit there all day and they don't leave till dark. Yeah. Those same ducks are, are coming back tomorrow. So if you shoot while all that big beehive over the woods is going on, if you shoot a couple times, you're fixed to run a whole bunch of ducks off. And then you're going to be looking at a blank sky. Yeah. So we watch it. We love to watch an epic show. Instead of shooting 16 limits, all right, hey, let's just shoot us 10 limits, two or three ducks a man, shoot you 40 ducks, watch an epic show. That's a lot get of ducks. Out of the woods. Absolutely. <laughs> Who, I mean, I had a guy last year said, hey, if you can just break double digits on a hunt, it's a good hunt. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm like a little better now. I'm like, well, I want to shoot 20 anyway. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, all right, let's just say we shoot 40 ducks, watch an epic show. We're out of the woods by 9 o'clock. Eating breakfast at nine thirty, nine forty-five. There ain't a dang thing wrong with that morning, in my opinion. No, no. So I'll take, I'll take, I'll take forty days of that any day of the week. But uh, you know, talking about pressure and stuff and the ways that that we like to hold ducks, that's probably one of my keys. Is don't shoot when the sky's full. Yeah. Uh, you know, let those ducks sit down, and and you know, we do what the boss calls a cocktail cruise every evening. And, and dude, it's, it's so much fun because you've got people who live in the city who, who may have never seen the sunset over the woods or over the rice fields in the Delta. So you go, you take your adult beverage. Well, a lot of times we'll have a fire right there at dark. All those ducks start getting up out of the woods. A lot of them coming right over you. But you can, as far as you can see, they're leaving the woods. They're going out to roost. The sun's setting. It is an epic show, and it kind of sets the tone for the next day. And but it also you, helps me from a scouting standpoint because mm-hmm. 
I want to I want to see the ducks and I want to be in the ducks, but I don't want to be in the middle of them. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So if you can if you can bounce around and hunt the edges of your ducks, you know if you if the ducks are mainly using the south end, all right. Well, we're going to get just west of them and a little bit north and and not get in that concentration of ducks and let them rest. You know the next if you can do that day to day. Well, now all of a sudden you've held your ducks. All right, you've made it through the first split. Yeah, and, and you know it, it's like you just you you get you get by till that next split until that next little break. All right, well we held them till now. All right, we're going to try to hold them till Christmas. All right, we held them for Christmas. All right, well we got to hold them. Blah blah blah. You yeah. know. So now how, that's how a, does the that's a huge, how does the the local rivers impact you guys um, as far as you know when the white and the cash and all these rivers in Arkansas get out. Um, I immediately hear everyone like, oh, you know, we lost all of our ducks, you know, because those ducks, you, they bounce. You definitely, oh, absolutely. You definitely you lose some for mm-hmm. a little while because here's here's what you got. Like you were talking about the, the fresh food, fresh water. All right. Well, man, a dry year for us is absolutely incredible because we've always got water. We've always got food. No matter if it rains or not, we're going to be flooded come opening day or and. So those ducks, I mean, they get pounded. And, and so every place that's got water is basically hunted in our area and all around. So the minute that they get some fresh food, some fresh water, well, man, I've had my butt shot off the last week. We're going somewhere else. Yeah. Now, they take some two or three days, and a lot of them venture back. Uh, the White River, is, is, it, it's a big draw. You know, uh, when, it, when it gets out, that's a lot of water and a lot of spots that, honestly, some people can't even hunt or get to. Yeah. Uh, so, so they do. That does affect us some. But I don't think it affects us as bad as it used to now that, now that we kind of— we hold our concentration of ducks in the area. I'm, I'm, we're blessed to have really good neighbors north of us and southeast of us who who manage and have rest fields and rest areas. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like we share this little concentration of, I don't know, 70, 80, 100,000 ducks, whatever it is. We all share those ducks. Yeah. And as long as nobody kind of breaks away and all right we're going to hunt from daylight till dark or we're going to hunt in the evenings or i'm going to go shoot my rest field as long as nobody does nothing out of the ordinary we pretty much hold our own little old nest egg of ducks yeah no that's convenient but 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 yeah you can you can definitely tell on a big rain or whatever when when those ducks get a chance to go to fresh food and fresh water you definitely lose them a couple of days yeah i was just curious um i've got couple more questions. We'll let you get out of here. Um, so, you know, there's, we deal with a lot of, you know, young hunters, young waterfowlers who, you know, they, they're like, man, I, I want to be a duck guide when I grow up. I'm going to be a, you know, property manager. Um, what would you say to, you know, a young person who is interested in kind of doing the same thing that you do? Um, how would you even start that conversation with someone like that? You know, you know, that is one of the probably most popular questions that I get mm-hmm. on social media. I bet. Yeah. And 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 my situation is really unique just because my grandmother used to pick ducks at the old Coca-Cola Woods. My uncle was a manager slash caretaker slash cook. You know, I, I joke around and say you gotta wear lots of hats. Mm-hmm. Um but so my situation Yes, I could have messed it up, and I could have chose to have done something different. But but I feel like my situation is really unique. In it, in other words, it was almost like it was it was there. Yeah. You know, I just had to take it and run with it. But what I try to tell people, the, the key to 
somehow ending up in a position like that is network. And I had a gentleman tell me that years ago, you know, don't burn any bridges, get to know as many people in this industry as there is in the waterfowl world, Mm -hmm. uh, in the management world. And, you know, make your great first impression. Don't be afraid to of any job as far as, you know, you're not too good to do this or do that or, or whatever. But get to know as many people as you can and build up a good name. And, you know, if something comes around and it fits your area and, and fits, you know, what you're wanting to do, you'll hear about it through the grapevine. Uh, but it, it is a tough gig. Now, I would say this, you know, the guiding deal, you could – I'd say that's a pretty – it's a, definitely an easier role to get in yeah. if you can, you know, practice your duck calling, practice your goose calling, whatever it is you want to do. Get get really good at it, and and then you've networked. You, you all of a sudden, you know, you've messaged Tony and you've told him. Well, all of a sudden, his he's got a guy that leaves or goes and does something else. He reaches out to you. Well, well, man, now's your chance. Yep. You know, so you've really got to you got to prepare for when the the time comes. You got to be ready for it, and and just. Just hustle, man. Just hustle and 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 treat people good. That's that's something I try to stress. Is you know, don't be that guy. Yeah. Don't be that guy. Just 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 do what's right and and uh, work hard. And, and it's amazing how stuff just kind of always works out. It may take it a minute. It may not be on your time, and it'll be God's timing. But but it will work out if, if you keep do if you do what's right and uh, and just work hard. You know, I my brother and he's been huge and, and kind of for one getting me into the um, getting me eat up with with hunting in the outdoors he took me from the time i could walk my uncle and and, and i've got he helps me one of my best friends helped me through the season but I, I assure them that you know there's nothing that i'll ever ask them to do that i won't do myself or that i haven't already done yep. you know you you know i always looked at tony uh before i got to know him I thought, well, hey, Tony, you know, he shows up. He, uh, they got everything set up. He's the face. He shows up, shoots, leaves. All right, you guys pick that up. <laughs> he wishes. Boy, 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 <laughs> boy, was, boy, was I wrong. Yeah. You know, and that, like I said, that was, that was way before I got to know him. Mm. Once I got to know him, I can look at his hands and tell those are a working man's hands. You know, and, and I went goose hunting with him. And he's out there working his tail off with his guides and with his helpers. And he's putting out decoys. He's he's doing everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no job that he's too good to do. And, and so I think that's something people got to keep in mind. You know, I, hey, I pick up trash. I tote firewood. I cook. I, I mean, a toilet stopped up. I, I wear lots of hats. Yep. Uh, now, now, if a toilet stops up these days, I'll probably call a guy. But... <laughs> Uh, I have one. Un- <laughs> you got a guy's number I, now, I, I, but I have done it all, and and uh, don't be afraid to start at the bottom and, and work your way up. Uh, it's it's doable. You just you got to know the right people, catch the right break, and, and that's just network is huge. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, just from my experience networking, and uh, you know, ninety percent of of guiding and and being around that many people is just just kind of being a nice person. <laughs> That's uh, uh, hey, yeah, yeah. Don't be that guy. Yeah, don't be that guy who, right. who's on social media. But you know, if you can't learn at a young age, mom and dad, you know, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. You know, and and when you shake a man's hand, you look him in the eye and you you grab a hold of him. You don't shake hands like some little sissy or like some little girl. You uh, uh it, it's amazing what a handshake will do as far as a first impression when you shake someone's hand, and look them in the eye. Uh, but now I'm old school. 
the world we live in today, it may not be as popular, but I'd say that more times than not, you're stand out from everybody else with, with good manners and a good handshake. That's right. That's right. Now, my last question, this is uh, one that popped up in my head as we're doing it, and then we'll, we'll get you out of here. So what's that snake situation like in that, that wet, half-muddy timber you got going on over there? Because that's what I was thinking about when I was watching that video. I was like, man, there is a cotton mouth around every corner. You know, they are. They are thick. Uh, I don't. I watch again, man. I've been there in those woods my whole life. So every step I'm watching, I'm looking, I'm, I'm, you know, but where I kind of worry about them more so than anything is, is tearing out beaver dams and stuff when you're yeah. kind of down in the muck yeah. and whatnot or, or in the end of a pipe, you know, that's, that's prime location for a cotton mouth. But yeah, we have got our fair of them. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, uh, but I'll say, I'll say this. We don't have as many as we used to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, man, it's, uh, they're thick. You know, I, I wear snake boots and, uh, honestly, you know, they're, I worry more about them in like October than yeah. I do now, just because, you know, at that point they've gone in the ground and they come back out and they, I think they're blind and they just kind of strike at heat and they're, they're mad at the world yeah. uh, at that point. So, so you definitely got to be, be careful in those months, brushing blind and stuff like that. But yeah, you just, man, you just got to be on your toes and be aware of your surroundings. Kind of like when you come over there to y'all to Memphis, you got to pay attention to what's going on over there. Look, right. look over your shoulder. That's right. Well, that's cool. Well, Rusty, this has been great. We're going to have to get you back on here. Um, you know, maybe sometime in the fall, we'll get you on, just kind of talk about how your your water's looking and how, you know, maybe a preseason outlook um, for that area. I mean, you probably, not only your property, you probably have a pretty good judge of of what the area surrounding you looks like. So uh, we'll definitely have to we, bring you we back do. We, we do bounce ideas and bounce yeah, scouting reports and everybody kind of stays in contact and works together. So, yeah, it's a great little area. But man, thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to be on. It's a it's a pleasure and a treat. Uh, I never would have thought of some old redneck from Morton, Arkansas would get to do it. But I, I am thankful. And if y'all listen this long, I sure do appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. I'm sure they did. Man, thanks a lot. Thank you. Keep in touch. Hope to talk to you this fall. All right, will do. I'd like to thank my guest, Rusty Creasy, the manager at the Coca-Cola Club, for coming on and talking to us about how he handles some of the off-season habitat stuff and just his day and the life of being the manager of the Coca-Cola Club. I'd like to thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the audience, for listening to the Ducks Unlimited podcast and supporting wetlands conservation. Thank you for listening to the DU Podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, the official performance dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Purina Pro Plan, always advancing. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit ducks.org slash DU Podcast. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.
Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.